It's good to pause, amen? And, uh, you know, I hope, let me just say something. Uh, Sorry, I'm taking more time, you know, but, you know, we tell you to bring snacks. So you can start wearing those camelbacks, too. You know, they have the little, you can sip to keep your endurance up, keep your blood sugar up, you know, make it through the, the race. But we'll give you plenty of food afterwards with haystacks. You can pile them up as big as you like. Um, but I, I just want to say to all of you as well, if you ever come here to church on Sabbath and you are wanting and needing somebody to pray with you, don't leave without being prayed for. Talk to myself, anybody, a brother and a sister here, someone from the prayer team after our services. I would hate to know that some of you came here hurting and needing prayer and didn't get that. Know that's the heart of the pastoral staff and of this church family. Because um, we all come with different experiences through the week. That's, that's our desire. Now I'll talk about you, Mark. You've been patient as a good student just sitting here. That's... Mark, uh, you know, I, I couldn't make it to first service. And so I called Ken, and, and I knew Ken knew Mark well, and Ken introduced him. But he was so nice to Mark. <laughs> and you see, i got to confess, I'm kind of holding something against Mark a little bit. <laughs> Because he's leaving us. It's good for the soul. Confession. Maybe yours, but no. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's good for the soul for you to leave. I said, maybe not mine. Oh, no. Is your wife here today? I don't know if she's here. No, today. she's still with family. She's still with family. So, um, but Mark, if you haven't heard, Mark and Colette are going to be leaving us. And uh, I think this will actually be Mark's last Sabbath with us until he comes back for the Redlands Bowl. Because he signed a contract with us as one of the uh, narrators. And uh, can't get out of that. His wife won't let him get out of that. But I think Colette will be here for a while and coming back. Yes, yes, she will. Um, But I had heard that they were considering an opportunity to to go to um, Ohio. And it got worse because my sister, one of my sisters lives in Ohio, (laughs) over in the Kettering area. And she's one of the people... I'll say this, and I think you'll not understand, I don't mean literally, but she's one of the people that wines and dines people when they come over there to try to persuade them. Even used fortune cookies. To come, yes. She's creative. <laughs> um, and so I remember, I remember my sister, uh, no, not my sister, actually, Colette was texting me saying, hey, we're having dinner at your sister's house this Friday night. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> I know what this means. So I texted back and I said, don't look into her eyes. Because <laughs> you'll be a goner. My, one of my sisters, Carol, she is the, she is the, um, the MacGyver of home ec, if you will. I mean, she can make anything taste great and just whatever. And so she did a little trick with him with a fortune cookie. And, uh, well, it was a trick. Yes. Oh. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, and then uh, she came out for Andrew's graduation, and, and she went to give me a hug, and I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> I gave her a hug, but I said, it's only because Jesus tells me to do it. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, they are going to be leaving, and, and Mark, uh, I think you've been a part of this community for about 15 years, 15 years. and um, and we're just going to miss you, and I know Lomaland University is going to miss you. He's been our ethicist in, in res- residence, if you will, here at Calamesa, and uh, been a wonderful teacher out in the discussion group out there in the fellowship hall. And, uh, and as I've been getting to know you over the last few years, just a, a wonderful, true, authentic person who loves Jesus and loves people. Thanks, John. And, um, and, 
and with integrity constantly tries to stretch people to be who Christ calls us to be. And, and on top of that, a great fisherman. Well, um, won't argue that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I've enjoyed, the fruits of your labor, and uh, been blessed, and looking forward to some more blessings soon. But I wanted to just I'll wrap this up. I'm taking longer, sorry. Um, but I want to read what I wrote in the card to Mark, because the card didn't want me to write too well, so he probably won't be able to read what I wrote. So he'll now know what I wrote, and so will you. But I said, Mark, thanks so much for your life your love, and your message among us and for us. Words cannot describe how greatly you will be missed. There will forever be a hole here in Calamesa without you here, which also means there will always be a place for you when you come back. Thank you. We, uh, we are going to miss you. We look forward to your words Thanks. today. And um, I think Mark's going to share with us how how he personally has experienced the kingdom here in Kala Mesa in a maybe a slightly different metaphor. Uh, but I'll stop talking and let you okay. get going. Thank you. Thank you. England has a king. We don't. The pilgrims couldn't stand living under the king. They left. Americans fought the British crown, beat it back. We didn't want it. We still don't. We don't like kings and we don't like kingdoms. Let me read from some of our revolutionary leaders. Robert or Richard Henry Lee from the uh, 1776 Congressional something. He says, resolved that these colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved of all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. You may recognize this one from Patrick Henry. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me... We don't like kings. We don't like kings telling us how to do our government. We don't like kings telling us how to do our church. So what on earth are we doing trying to figure out how a king can help us personally and spiritually? I've struggled with this question for months now. I don't know. In my effort to prepare and and have something good to say about a kingdom, Pastor John, I went to Google. (laughs) What does Google say about kings and kingdoms? Well, a political or territorial unit ruled by a sovereign. Might have said king, but we know now that sometimes the sovereign is a queen. Another Google definition, the eternal spiritual sovereignty of God or Christ. Then there's this whole taxonomic system, the Linnaean taxonomy. How many scientists out there know about Thank you, Alfred. The plant kingdom? How can plants be a kingdom? Help me here. And mineral kingdom. Animal kingdom I can get. Well, so then I turn to Wikipedia, the paragon of present knowledge. You know, if you change an article, because you're allowed to change an article on Wikipedia, someone did a study, something like five seconds later, if you've 
change the definition in an aberrant way, five seconds later it will be corrected by someone else in the world. It's a pretty interesting knowledge base, isn't it? Well, what does Wikipedia have to say? There are six divisions under the entry for kingdom in Wikipedia. Two of them are interesting to us, government and religion. And under the religion entry, it says this, I quote, Kingdom of God, a foundational concept for the three Abrahamic religions. A foundational concept. Well, why do we call it the king? Why do we refer to it as the kingdom? We might say, because the Bible does. Bible indeed refers to the kingdom and to kings. But let's think back. As I was reviewing my understanding of king and kingdom, I thought back to King James I in England. How many of you have a King James version of the Bible in your lap right now? I'm a convert to Seventh-day Adventism. When I came into the church, we were in a big fight about whether or not it would be appropriate to use any other version than the King James Version. Now, why is there a King James Version? Because King James didn't like the versions that were in use in England at the time. 1604, he gathered 47 scholars, or was it 45? I'm not much good with numbers. 47, it says. Scholars of the Church of England who took seven years to finish it, making sure that they followed the king's desire that it reflected the theological thinking of the Episcopal structure of the church and of their belief in an ordained ministry. What's my point? I have two. First, let's not imagine that we're immune to bias with regard to what king and kingdom means as we read scripture. Western civilization, which is our civilization, depends upon the idea of a monarchy. America changed all of that. When we look at people who are leaders, we begin to try to mold them along these patterns. Patterns of monarchical leadership. Leaders are supposed to be strong. They're supposed to be male. I've asked the following question of my students for 15 years around the world as Loma Linda, thank you Dick and thank you John, as Loma Linda has sent me around the world to at least five different countries. I've asked the question, and many times here, name someone who in your mind, speaking to the students, is morally mature. Always. Every single time I've done that, even though the majority of the students are women, they put male names on the board. We think leadership is male. We think moral maturity is male. Why? Because of kings and kingdoms and monarchies and power and structure. What sort of metaphor can we rescue from this kings and kingdoms idea. Do we believe that God wants us to think of him as a king? On a throne, really high, probably cold, 
stone? What vision does your mind create when you think of kings in castles that aren't heated very well? It's cold. It doesn't draw me in much. I'm struggling with the king metaphor. There was a song earlier. Uh, we think of, of, of God as a brother and a friend, even though he's a king. We have to add that even though line in there because who gets to know the king? Who gets to have a relationship with the king? We don't get that. We don't get audience with the king. Well, the, the metaphor is very good. I was in Thailand just recently, and I drove under this big monster thing over the road with a picture of the king and his family, and it said, Long live the king. So apparently they love their king in Thailand. It's called a constitutional monarchy. And unlike Saudi Arabia, it's not an absolute monarchy. In a constitutional monarchy, the king pretty much has to be nice, or else the people get rid of it. Constitutional monarchies, they make sense to us. Great Britain, Japan, Spain, United Arab Emirates, Lesotho, lots of countries. And the one thing that's good about this metaphor is it helps us understand that we're really not the one in control. There is a God who is in control. We're not the ones in control. But that cuts both ways with me because I kind of like to have control most of the time. Anybody out there controlling? Thank you very much. <laughs> Our worship leaders today. What a surprise. So this, this metaphor is, is both helpful and difficult for us. Did you notice the attitudes when the... Um, when the young uh, George, William and Kate's baby was born. Did you notice the attitudes circling around in America about this? How many of you got emails that just kind of, you know, oh, come on, who cares if they have a kid? Really, there are lots of kids got born today. Why do you have to pay any attention to them? Well, because they're royalty. And Americans said, who cares if they're royalty? We don't do kings and kingship. You know what? God apparently didn't even like the metaphor. Go to the first book of Samuel, chapter 8. Remember, during this time, Samuel was a judge in Israel, and his sons were beginning to take over. But the people didn't like his sons. They were corrupt. Samuel went to God, and God said to Samuel, I know, I know, but listen to the people and give them what they want. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But make sure you tell them, and they know what they're getting into. God goes on to tell Samuel, to tell the people, the king will be like all other kings. He will take your sons, he will take your daughters. About eight times in this passage, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, he says what the king will take from them. Doesn't draw me in yet. So when we come to the New Testament and we come to the place where king and kingdom is mentioned there, now we see that there's something different. Something different about this king and kingdom metaphor now. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, Paul says, this kingdom 
is different. It's imperishable. It cannot be broken. It cannot be swept away. Remember the Romanovs in Russia? Someone raise your hand, please. You do remember the Romanovs. Thank you very much. They were swept off the map, literally swept away. This kingdom, the kingdom of God and Jesus, will not be swept away. And as we understand it for our time, let's imagine how we can see and experience it differently. And I go back to Paul for the body metaphor. The body metaphor. It's biblical. It's beautiful. And I see three advantages of this metaphor. The first advantage is that it doesn't create any hierarchies for the people in the body of Christ. There are no inherent hierarchies. A king in a kingdom? Clearly. Where's your place? Well, it's not anywhere near the king. In a body? All parts of the body are necessary for the body to function. All of them. One uh, doesn't create hierarchies. And we all understand the body metaphor. Imagine trying to share the gospel with some American who doesn't follow the news and doesn't know that there's a monarchy somewhere and say the gospel is like a king and a kingdom. They don't even have anything to compare it to. So the gospel is like a body. We all have a body. We all know what it's like to have a body and we know what it's like to have bodies that are messed up. Anybody got a messed up body? Some of our bodies are really attractive. Some of us have big bellies. Some of us have really ugly feet. I'm sorry, but you know, there are precious few people that have pretty feet. I may be biased, I don't know, but feet don't draw me in much. Maybe that's why I'm going to Ohio. They wear shoes in Ohio. <laughs> they pretty much have to. We all understand the body metaphor. And we understand that it extends beyond us. And that we can think of ourselves together as the body. And it emphasizes relationships. Again, it's a rare thing to have a relationship with the king. Which is why Jesus as the king and the kingdom of God is so odd and unique. Because we can have a relationship. And the body of Christ draws us in. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to shift to the message version. I really, I don't need you to look at the passage. In fact, I don't want you to try to look at it. Let me just read it. And let's hear God's word. Paul says, We're like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. 
without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. It's been 15 years for me here, John. I grew up in many ways. I grew up here. Started with the Pathfinders. Thank you, Alfred. The holders were here earlier. Took Tyler. Tyler was nine or ten at the time. The Roach family, Kip and Rolanda. How many of you seen them lately? Chadwick, Malcolm, and Ethan. I got to baptize them. One time I was sitting down here in that area. I've always sat on that side. I don't know what meaning that has. Sat down next to a young lady, and she was, uh, we were chatting, discovered that she commercial fished in Alaska. Now, who does that? Please, raise your hand if you commercial fish in Alaska. Thank you, Melissa, my daughter. I'll chat, I'll chat more about you in a moment. <laughs> right. Okay, so she's from Alaska. And it turns out her grandparents and her were members in my church in Alaska. I was her pastor when she was little. The body has connections like this. Melissa walked out of Barnes & Noble, turned the corner, and looked straight into the face of Mark McMillan in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> Just the other day. The body finds connections everywhere. Some of you know Lynn and Karen Martell. Some of you know Bob and Thelma. Bob interviewed me when I was graduating from Walla Walla College to see if I could be a pastor in his conference. He was in the Upper Columbia Conference. The first time I parked my vehicle in this parking lot, he and his wife got out of his car. I said, Bob, Thelma, what are you doing here? The body has connections. I sat down in church and sat behind Dave and Sonia. Sonia, I think I've told you this story. She had a spider crawling up her hair. <laughs> now, do I reach out and take the spider off of a strange woman's hair? <laughs> I didn't dare. <laughs> I should have, thank you. Oh. Lou and Marjorie Venden. Lou preached a sermon at a professional meeting. I think it was in New Orleans. It changed me forever. And I believed, once again, that sermons could have power. Thank you, Lou. Marjorie. Forrest Howe. Some of you know Forrest. We were talking one time. He said, yeah, when I was growing up on Hog's Back Road. I said, wait a minute. Hogsback Road, there are probably a few of them, but his parents and my grandparents grew up on the same road in Mason, Michigan, Hogsback Road. <laughs> the Moran family. I've known them since before the kids were born. Mesa Grande Academy. Peggy, who else? The Riddles. Mike, you taught my kids, right? Arliss, Nadine, where'd Nadine go? Amazing. 
In my backyard, I have a tree that has an owl that lives in it. Now, the owl deposits these disgusting things that it vomits up out of its stomach. Do you know how owls do their thing? Absolutely disgusting. The biology teacher, Joey, loves me to collect those things and bring them to him. Since I'm leaving this week, Joey, I thought I'd give you the latest installment. Dr. Bob, I was on the long-range planning committee. Remember that? Some of us wanted to build a new church. What can I say about my family? Those of you who helped with Melissa and Tyler, raise your hand, Melissa. They're like two sides of the same coin. Tyler is a snowboard instructor on the slopes of Mount Hood. He is living the life. Melissa is tearing up the academic world. She's going to a master's degree program in London to the London School of Economics. A master's in development management. You'll have to ask her what that means. Why highlight this? No matter where my children go, no matter what they do or what they believe, you helped raise them. Your trips out to lunch, Judy, those are not just a time to feed people. You helped raise them. Your heart beats in them and vice versa. That's the body of Christ. And when I didn't show up one time, a couple times, maybe three or four weeks in the Contemporary Issues Sabbath School class where I got to teach, and I don't know if you realize how cool it is to teach over there. When I didn't show up because of a personal crisis. I lived through divorce in this church. Elmer Sakala said, why isn't Mark coming around? I was hurting. We were hurting. He said, something doesn't feel right. Now, praise God for the king and the kingdom and the 28 fundamental beliefs that this church upholds. But it was because he felt some unease that he called me and we got together. It's because my blood courses through his veins and vice versa. The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. What happens to you happens to me. The babies that are born, the children, the adolescents, and those of us still clinging to adolescence, and shall I mention the pastoral staff through the years? Clarence Schilt was the pastor when I came. Raise your hand if you remember Clarence. Some of us remember Clarence. Buzz Sterrett. Help me if I forget any, right? Buzz Sterrett, Derek Morris, Chris Oberg, Susie Hebert. Who else? Have I missed any? Dustin Kahn. Dan Nairati, Mick Thurber was before me. Only been here 15 years. <laughs> Saul Barcelo, Fidimuero, Pablo Arisa. Where are you, Pablo? 
Thank you. John Ciccarelli and Ken Curtis. Ken, are you here inside? He is one of the most amazing pastors I've ever met. I'm not sure you really fully understand how amazing he is. Treasure him. Treasure him. The babies born, the children, the adolescents, the couples and families torn apart by divorce and strangely bound together by love, old and new. And thank you, by the way, for welcoming Colette and her creative <laughs> genius. <laughs> thank you for Christmas and Pine Springs Ranch. With the lone exception of those dancing bellies. <laughs> How many of you remember the dancing bellies? I still have post-traumatic stress <laughs> from the dancing bellies. Saturday night at the ranch, at Pine Springs Ranch. It's a difficult memory. <laughs> but that's part of the body of Christ. The difficult memories together. Those who have lost their memories through dementia or Alzheimer's, the cancers that we have fought together, losing some, holding on to some. These are the things of the body of Christ. Those who have died and gone to their rest. I want to end with some time in the book of Romans again. I'm going to read a lengthy passage. I want you to just relax and listen. In many ways, this is Paul's explanation of what it's like to experience the kingdom as a body. Here's what I want you to do, Paul says. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are, what we do for Him. In this way, we're like the various parts of a body. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. And if you work with the disadvantaged, 
Don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Should I repeat that? I am an ethicist, right? It's a little bit to do about how we get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, it's my favorite passage. Paul says, this is not an easy thing. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. And if you don't, stay where you are. The body will take care of you. Because the body's blood courses through your veins too. Our scriptures tell us that if we see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems they're strong on opinions, but weak on faith. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. So, tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's trouble. He waded right in and helped out. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God Develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir. Not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony. A stunning anthem to God. Finally, the first book of Corinthians, chapter 13, The Love chapter. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want 
what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't take pleasure in the, or sorry, does take pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with everything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. We don't see things yet quite clearly. We're squinting in the fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of these is love. Let's stand for the benediction, please. The offering, the offering for that. Uh, just a reminder, as uh, we leave the sanctuary, there'll be an offering plate for our family from Pine Springs Ranch. Bow your heads, please. God bless you and keep you. God lift up his face upon you. And give you peace.